invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. Split your Bible in half, start going to the right, you'll eventually bump into it. Luke, we're going to be in chapter 12, Luke chapter 12 today. Um, While you're turning there or punching it in uh, to your phone or mobile device of your choice, Uh, Let me just kind of set the stage a little bit. In this part of this biography of Jesus, um, Luke is telling uh, us a series of stories about some teaching that Luke is giving, um, that Jesus is giving. Um, And one of the things that we notice in the text is that there are multiple groups of people that are, are present. Some of them are religious leaders. Some of them are his disciples but there are lots and lots of people that are just part of the crowd. In fact, at one point, he says that there are thousands of people that are, um, are present during this block of teaching. So uh, there's these little interactions that he's having with, with these groups of people, but it appears that everybody is kind of observing this. Does that make sense? So we're talking about a pretty large crowd. So he's doing this teaching, um, and, and he's kind of mixing it up with the Pharisees a little bit. And Jesus kind of liked that. He, he kind of got the impression that Jesus really enjoyed when they showed up because uh, he was going to have some, some fun with them. But on the other hand, he you know, he's, he's gets kind of irritated with them as well. Um, but it was, uh, hi, party in a pocket right there. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, there's this, this is uh, part of a large block of sermons that he's giving. And he just finishes this section on hypocrisy, okay? So he finishes up this teaching on hypocrisy. He's, he's talking with the Pharisees, and then he kind of turns his attention to something else. So let's pick this up in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to begin with verse 13. Here it is. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now that's an odd request, isn't it? Now, I don't know if you've had somebody in your family who has passed away and has left any kind of an estate, but one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that money, specifically estates, make people stupid. Can I I just be honest about that? I mean, sometimes I just kind of shake my head. Well, the thing of it is, is there's some things that never change with human beings, because apparently 2,000 years ago, we had the same thing going on. So someone in the crowd, remember, he's, he's got thousands of people around him, and somebody decides to stand. Apparently, this person doesn't take social cues well, right? So just stands up and say, teacher or rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, he says. And Jesus replied, and, and I kind of get the impression that Jesus isn't real happy about this. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Many said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Interesting, right? Jesus kind of gets sort of to the heart of the matter. We're going to talk more about that as we go along. But this is a really strange demand. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, remember, every time we open the Bible, my presumption is that we're tourists, because we're talking about a different country with a different um, history, a different set of customs, a different culture. And so sometimes when we read things, it might appear odd to us. It was particularly normal to that group of people in that time and in that place. 
So let me see if I can explain a little bit about what's going on here. In Jewish law and in Jewish custom, what would happen is if that a father passed away, then his sons, not necessarily his daughters, sorry ladies, it's just the way it was, don't blame me, um, the sons would receive his estate in a certain order. The eldest son would always receive a double portion. Why? Because he becomes the new patriarch of the family. He's the eldest. So in order to do that, to, to be able to care for his other siblings, particularly the women, unmarried women in his, in his father's household, he would get a double portion of it. Now, there were certain times and instances when keeping everybody together and the entire estate together was advantageous for that family. And obviously what we have here is we've got one brother who's not really happy with that arrangement. And so what they would do is they would go to the local rabbi because remember, the rabbi was the living embodiment of the word of God, the Torah, the law. And so they would often go to the rabbi and ask the rabbi to settle the dispute within the family in order to maintain some harmony. Are you with me? Does that make sense? It's kind of a neat system, although it's a little you know, informal. But here we have a large group of people, and a guy stands up and wants Jesus to make a, render a legal decision. And Jesus isn't too happy about that, I think. And he makes this, this, uh, um, this statement about watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, which leads me to believe there's more than one kind of greed. So I think Jesus perceives what is happening. Let's go on. Let's keep reading. <clears throat> and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now let me hit the pause button right there for a second. Whenever you see um, in Luke in particular, this phrase, a certain man, or in this case, a certain rich man, it's usually uh, the signal that it's a parable. In other words, he's not telling a story that actually happened. He's making up a story in order to make a point. You with me? It's an illustration, um, kind of an, an embellished story that leads people down a path. Why? Because people like stories better than they like to be lectured at. I don't know about you, but I, I prefer that. And so when we, when we see that, we know that it's a parable. Now, just think about this for a moment. <clears throat> He's already rich, but his, but his land yielded an abundant harvest. Now, how many of you would agree that this is a great problem to have, right? Isn't it a great problem? I don't know where to store this stuff. Uh, that, that's a good problem to have. Now, and based on that, how many would you agree that this man could honestly say that he was blessed, right? I mean, he really was. I mean, he's a blessed man. Not only is he already wealthy, but he's obviously gotten some more wealth because that's really uh, what grain was. If I didn't have to worry about where my next meal is going to come from, that's pretty good, right? He was. Now, I want to suggest something to you that in Jewish thought, 
circumstances of an individual were always thought of in the terms of blessing and curse. Blessing and curse. Those two things would typify or, or uh, rather explain what was going on in a person's life. And I think this is really important for us to understand because we can miss this throughout the Gospels if we don't, if we don't fully grasp this. Very rarely do you see Jesus or a Jew in the first century talking about heaven and hell. It's not that they didn't believe they didn't exist, it's just that was not the focus or the emphasis of their theology. Rather, it was what was happening here and now. Am I blessed or am I cursed? It's not about eternity. It's about right here, right now. Are you with me? It's a very important distinction that we need, that we need to make. And let me give you uh, uh, a couple of examples of where we find this. Mostly, we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is the point of the Jewish law that lays out all of the blessings and all of the curses for people who follow the law or who, who don't. So here we go. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. I love this. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your, your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Wait, he keeps going. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven the Lord will send, notice this, a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. Okay? Now, interestingly enough, we mentions barns here, but this entire chapter of 28 gives blessings and curses. By the way, there's only one-third of the chapter devoted to blessing and two-thirds devoted to devoted to curses. Nice, huh? In other words, there's a pretty good incentive for you to follow the Lord's commands in this case. But one of those, obviously, is this blessing in the barn. We see this again with the poet in the, in, in the book of Psalms. Psalm 144. From the deadly sword, deliver me. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants. Yes, we have a few of those running around. And our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Isn't that great? Oh. Which people talk like that now. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. See? He's extolling the virtues of God doing his thing, and our barns will be filled. There's a series of wise sayings that's collected in the book of Proverbs. We see it again. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. In every one of these cases, we're talking about blessing. So, you know, we look at the parable that Jesus is saying here and yeah, the brother's blessed. There's no way of getting around it. And the beautiful part of this is that if you were a Jew in the first century, you would have known this. So the parable to you would be immediately draw to mind. Of, oh yeah, he's blessed. He's absolutely blessed. That means 
He is doing exactly what God wants him to do because if you're fully obeying God, you are being blessed. We know that from Deuteronomy chapter 28, right? Okay, now, let's go back to the story, Luke chapter 12, beginning verse 20. So he just said, I'm going to create new barns. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus goes on to say, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. That is a shocking statement. If you are a first century Jew and a rich man is that blessed and for God to call him a fool, that would set you back a little bit. You'd be like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what we call in storytelling the dramatic turn. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He twists this thing. He turns it on its head in order to make a point. He is blessed, yes, but he's also a fool. Those two things are held in tension in this parable, and that would have made everybody in the crowd a little uncomfortable. Because wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I'm blessed, how can I be a fool too? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Because the, the idea that I think that Jesus is getting at in this little parable is that it isn't about the blessing itself. There is something deeper, and it's, it, it kind of comes down to this last statement. It's like, okay, it's fine if you amass yourself a fortune. Yeah, you can do that, and then you're going to leave it for children who are going to stand around and bicker about it. Wow. And Ouch. It's a shocking statement. It's a painful statement. Now, we could surmise a couple of things. First one is, is that we could say that um, maybe he's being punished because he didn't honor God in some way with the first fruits. Um, or maybe he didn't allow the poor people to glean from his fields because that was also a requirement of the law. If there were poor in, in your community, you would always leave some grain so that they could come and glean from the field, that they would have food too. But here's the problem. The text doesn't say that. It doesn't say any of that. Jesus' parable doesn't say any reason why this shocking statement occurs. And I think what he's trying to get at is that this is, this is a hard issue. This isn't about necessarily going through the motions. This isn't about doing the things that God's required. This is really about what's going on in the heart. And he uses hyperbole, which is an exaggeration. He's using an exaggerated story in order to make a point about this. And and what he's ultimately, I think, getting at is that the first thing that he thought of with his wealth was himself. If I store this up, then I can take it easy. You see that? It's a hard issue on this certain rich man. Now, note, too, that we also don't see anything about heaven or hell here, right? We don't see anything about that future reality. Um, there's a part of me that says, look, if, if, <laughs> if you're rich toward God, I mean, if you follow Jesus and you're rich toward God, heaven and hell are going to take care of themselves. But the point that he's trying to make here is if you're dealing with the here and now, if you're dealing with this moment in time, this really isn't heaven on earth if you're bickering about this. Jesus is making it. I mean, he's poking. He's poking at this. Our series is on stewardship. 
We've been talking about managing what God has entrusted to us. I like the definition that's on the, the screen when we first get this thing rolling, is that it's acknowledging the fact that there is a, a God, we're going to talk more about that next week, um, who has given us some things that we're supposed to manage. And yes, I see that in this story, this parable, that there's this warning against greed, or better yet, all kinds of greed. But maybe there's another way of saying this, is that if you are blessed, then you need to steward your blessing. Does that make sense? Stewardship is about managing things. Obviously, those of us who live in this country have been blessed in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the last um, number that I saw is that if you um, own a vehicle, and I think it's own, own a home, if you own those two things, you are actually not only in the top 1%, but you're in like the top like two-tenths of 1% of all the wealth in the world, just with those two things. That's crazy because most of us know, you know, we either rent or we, but most of us have a vehicle in order to get from point A to point B. That's the context that we live in. And it just, but you are in the upper echelon of the wealthiest of the entire world. We live in this country. We're blessed. And what I think Jesus is partially saying here is that we need to steward our blessing. Now, here's the thing. It is fine for you to benefit from your blessing. You should. That's why God gave it to you, is that you, know, that you would benefit. Blessing and benefit kind of go hand in hand. But I think the other piece of this is that you need to do something with it. That the blessing isn't just for yourself. The blessing is for you and for others. Blessings must benefit others too. That's what we call God's economy. God gives you things in order for you to pass it on or pay it forward or use the phrase that makes the most sense to you. And, and to that end, I would, I would have you consider Abraham. Abraham was who God chose to start kind of this path of redemption for all of humanity. And when God first calls Abraham, he, he says this. The Lord said to Abram, that was before he changed his name, go from your country your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this little phrase that's highlighted, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, that seems like a statement, right? But if you read it in the original Hebrew language, it's a command. I'm going to bless you, you better go and bless somebody else. Do you see that? So what happens is, is that when, when God gives a blessing, you become a conduit to bless someone else. That's God's economy. Now, do you, do you receive some benefit for it? Of course, but that's not the point. The point is, is that the blessing continues to bless other people. That's kind of how you know that it's from God. And, and I see the same idea carrying through when we see Jesus say, being rich towards God, that means caring about what he cares about, doing the things that he's interested in, bringing heaven to earth, right? All of those things are, are, I think, what's in play here. So, you know, the bottom line here is to steward your blessing, whatever it is. Now, let me give you just a little piece of advice. I'm going to throw in a freebie today. The best way to start stewarding your, steward your blessing 
is to count them. Did you hear me? Because I don't know, I, sometimes I'm in the cup half empty crowd. And I think about and I focus on the things I don't have and the things I wish I had instead of pausing and saying, but what do I have? Because when I start thinking about that, then I realize I can't keep it to myself. I actually have to do something with it because that's God's economy and I want to be rich toward God. Does that make sense? Now, there's one other thing that's in here. There's one other mm, gift, I would say, that we're supposed to steward, that we have to steward. Do you see what it is, by chance? Do you see it in there? It's time. It's time. I, I hesitate to bring this one up because sometimes when I, when I think about the, the shortness of time that we have on earth, I get a little depressed <laughs> because there's so many things that I want to do and there's so many things I want to explore. And, and I, don't want to, I don't necessarily want to focus on, on that aspect of it. You know, that time is short. But last week we talked about attention, remember? And what I notice is that time and attention tend to parallel each other. So the things that we, we say about attention, we can also um, say about, about time. And, and how quickly does time go by? Oh, we, um, well, Lisa was on Facebook yesterday, I think, and there was uh, somebody that we knew um, back in uh, uh, one of our other pastorates, and uh, their little boy just turned seven. And we're like, when did that happen? Right? Um, I'm sure all of you have experienced that, but it's like you, you stay out of time. I mean, time just keeps marching on. And yeah, I understand that this passage is about greed, and I understand that this passage is, is, is about blessing, but the bottom line here is that time is limited, whether we like it or not. And time and, uh, and attention are inextricably linked. You, you really have to look at both of them. And, and we know this because you can... I, I'm presuming this happens to you because it happens to me more times than I care to admit. But sometimes I will do something where I'm like, oh, I'll just do that for five minutes. And then I become aware of the clock and it's like 90 minutes later. Does that ever happen to you? Come on, be honest, you're in church, right? It happens, we, we lose sight of that. Well, I'm just gonna watch, watch this, this TV show to the next commercial. <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen. Oh, I'm so engrossed in it now. The next thing you know, then you have Netflix. You don't even have any commercials. God bless Netflix. Anyway, but we become aware of the clock after our attention, and things will come and they will take our attention away from us. We talked about that last week. And so, so those are the things that when we talk about attention and time, those two things tend to go together. And here's the thing: there are hundreds. I mean hundreds of time management methods out there. Just open up the internet, Google time management. Oh my gosh, there are so many. And there are apps too, by the way. So if you, you know, don't want to do it by paper, you can do it electronically. I mean, there's just, there's all kinds of them. Um, earlier this, this year, uh, I was trying to find a task and time management 
you know, program that we're going to adopt as a team for the church and for me personally. And at one point, I had no less than 12 tabs open on my computer as I was comparing some of these. And those were just the top ones. There was a bunch of other ones that I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to consider that one, but 12 of them. Drove my assistant crazy. Would you just pick one? I'm like, but I want the best one. And the next thing you know, it was an hour and a half later, and I still hadn't made a decision yet. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how these things, these things go. It's easier to read about productivity than it is to actually be productive. Did you notice that? Because, you know, there's all kinds of cool things to look for. And by the way, there's good stuff on YouTube as well. And you can read and you can watch and you can have somebody do all your thinking for you and burn through another 90 minutes. It just happens. And so what I, I want to do is I want to leave you with an idea that, that I personally am learning. And I, I want you to, to understand something. That... I don't have this discipleship thing figured out. Not yet. I am just as much on the path as everyone else is. And this is one area that I know that I need to work on just in my own life. Um, my, uh, my ADD kicks in pretty quickly on things and, and squirrel. You know, kind of a thing. And the next thing you know, I'm, and that's not the kind of discipleship that I really, I really want. So this is, this is the thing that, that I'm learning. Last week, that we, we, we learned this kind of helpful rhyme, but where focus goes, energy flows, right? You might remember that. Well, here's, here's the thing I want you to remember. Time management is energy management. Time management is energy management. Managing your energy, your focus, your attention, affects your time. We've talked about this, right? Those two things are, are together. And so here we have this passage. We have a blessed man who's interested in his own comfort. And, and the, the, the charge against him is that he was not rich toward God. By the way, rich towards God is energy. It's that kind of focus and just saying, okay, I've been blessed in this way. How can I bless somebody else with it rather than just my own comfort? Now notice, he's already wealthy. His needs are taken care of. He's going to be fine. But he's now achieved a new level. What's he going to do with it? There's no contribution that's mentioned here, and that's the charge against him. Now, please remember, this is hyperbole. This is an exaggeration. This is not an actual person who, who went through this, although it probably could represent a lot of folks in history. And I get this feeling that Jesus is irritated with this guy asking him this question. And so... You know, maybe that kind of comes out. That's kind of what's in my head. But the point is made that what's really important here is about taking that blessing of both wealth and of time and doing something with it to benefit the people around us. And so the challenge, I think, here is as a disciple, where do you want your energy to go? And when I say that, where your energy is going to go, what are you going to do with your time? Does that make sense? Well, a great, great thing to do is to check in with God and ask him, okay, I mean, that one's you know, pretty open, pretty, pretty obvious there. But I think that when we read this passage and we think about being stewards and we're thinking about being disciples, where do you want that energy to actually flow? And that's going to affect your time. And so my prayer for you is that God is going to give you two things. First of all, that he'd give you clarity about what he hopes and dreams for the time that you have. Because at some point, 
Our lives are required of us. And by the way, that term, that term in there, your life is, is required of you or demanded of you, is a business term. It would be the same thing as getting a collection notice. It's due right now. There's a legality to it. And so my prayer is that each one of you would have that clarity that, that God would give you what his hope and what his dream is for you in the time that you do have so that you're investing it well. But also, and here's the other piece of it, it's not just clarity, it's also courage. Courage for you to look at whatever that thing is, what that clarity is, and to order your life around that. Because as we learned last week, the things that will steal your focus, <laughs> other people's demands, distractions, fear, all of that, also steal your time. And I want you to have the courage to hit the pause button and say, okay, I'm going to order my life around this thing so that I can be rich towards God.